This is Lua Bay in Sighting Africa. Welcome to the fifth episode of the second season of your favorite renowned LSE-led podcast. Digital technologies have invaded our daily life, our morning joggings, our sleep, and even our health systems. If you don't think so, think back. When was the last time you checked how many steps you have done in a day in your health iPhone app? Today's episode is dedicated to understanding how such digital measurement technologies are being used by private and public health providers to calculate the risk and cost of the patients and what consequences this may have for transformative and inclusive social policy in African countries. This seems like a complicated topic to you, don't worry. Our team of experts is here to unpack it. Today, we have the pleasure to be hosting two International Development Master's students, Charles Rodwell and Victoria Grabenwoger. They're fascinated about our topic and specializing in the study of social policy in African development. We're also extremely honored to have Andrea Mitwishin on our podcast show today. She's Professor of Law and Engineering Policy at Penn State University and also Associate Dean of Innovated at Penn State Law. One of her main research focuses is the internet of bodies and health technology. In other words, she looks at commercial use of the human body as a technology platform and how this is changing health tech and notions of healthcare. Thank you all for being here today. To begin, let's refresh our minds and go over the subject in transformative and inclusive social policy. Charles, can you tell us a word about this? Yeah, sure. Uh, thank you very much for inviting me. Uh, the social policy arena is wide, but let me kind of simplify it uh, for you and for our listeners. Um, social policies are public interventions which directly affect social welfare, social institutions, and um, social relations. They have many objectives, which are poverty eradication, redistribution, protection, reproduction, which, reproduction, which must be understood as bringing up the next generation and care for the elderly. Other objectives include production or things like social cohesion. Um, they are said to be transformative when they help structural transformation or in other words, moving the country's economy out of activities with low productivity and into higher productivity activities. Um, therefore, part of the social policy's aim is about triggering growth and kind of mobilizing the necessary resources for productive activities. Um, the second phase of social policy, and this is where the inclusive component kicks in, um, is about ensuring that the benefits acquired through growth are spread evenly to the population as, as a whole. Thanks, Charles. That's, that's really helpful. Um, could you maybe make a connection with the health sector here? Yes, yes. Um, well, the connection with the health sector here is that um, ensuring that everyone has access to healthcare, regardless of their class, ethnicity, gender, or revenue, like their characteristics, is part of transformative and inclusive social policies. This is central with links to Africa, to authors like uh, Tandika Makandawa. Uh, it takes part in the economy's growth and structural transformation uh, because a healthy population creates productivity gains, it invests in its own productivity, and it boosts consumption and savings. Fantastic, thank you. Now, let's dig in the concept of digital, digital measurement technologies in the healthcare sector particularly. Andrea, could you maybe say a word on this? 
So there are three generations of technologies that are being used in healthcare settings, but also increasingly by consumers to self-monitor and also in connection with employment health monitoring. The first generation of these technologies is body external. So it's everything from the health uh, wellness tracking kinds of devices like Fitbits that monitor how many steps you take to um, other devices such as brain sensing headbands that go on the outside of uh, a patient's head um, that uh, engage with the processes um, that the device can pick up and you know, footnote, it's always good to check exactly how the technology works and that it's not overclaiming uh, how the processes work in terms of the readable uh, firing of uh, uh, different chemical processes inside the brain. Um, and also that kind of a device can monitor attention ostensibly. So uh, those are the body external devices, but increasingly we have body internal devices as well. The earliest generations of body internal devices included things like pacemakers and cochlear implants, which are at least in part surgically implanted inside the human body. But what has changed over time is that as these devices have progressively relied on software, both to encourage more efficient tabulation and communication with doctors and medical professionals who monitor the health of the human body in which this device is embedded, but the third generation of devices, which we are on the cusp of, and we're already seeing medical experimentation with, involve implanted devices that have live feeds connecting the human body with real-time remote input. So uh, in today's medical experimentation, these devices, are things like uh, deep brain stimulation devices. So Thanks a lot, Andrea, for this thorough explanation. It's so interesting. For this podcast, we will focus on the first generation of device you mentioned, the body external devices. And now that both concepts are crystal clear to our audience, Victoria will introduce a real-life example of such digital measurement technology in South Africa. Thanks, Lou. I'm glad to be here. Yeah, so it's really important to realize that in the past few years, insurance companies have increasingly started to use these digital technologies to measure and price risk uh, of their customers. So with the help of health tracking devices, so for example, wearables like Fitbit and Apple Watch, they've started to track and incentivize health behaviors and offer really individually targeted insurance plans. And we want to talk about a specific case study today, which is the Vitality program of the South African insurance company, Discovery Health. And Discovery Health is a really good example of how digital technology has been integrated into allocating risk and price in health insurance policies. And this insurance company implemented the Vitality program in 2004. Um, in this program, they started actually offering vitality points um, to incentivize their policyholders' participation in, in, in health activities. So people who participated in this program, um, their, their data was, was collected with the help of uh, wearable fitness trackers like Fitbit and Apple Watch and also with the help of smartphones. 
and many, many challenges were created for those people um, related to, to food shopping, to physical activities, to medical checkups. And if people accomplished those challenges, they were rewarded with vitality points. And then people could use those vitality points, for example, to get lower health insurance premiums um, or cashback or other types of incentives. And actually, um, in, in their 2017 report, Discovery Health asserted that this kind of collected data um, feeds into dynamic risk pricing, which we can understand as uh, developing insurance policies with, with pricing that is linked to the specific client behaviors. So yeah, I think uh, Discovery Health is a really interesting example for the intersection of digital tech and, and health insurance. And it has inspired many other insurance schemes um, across the world. Thank you, Victoria. I think that was very clear and that this really helps our audience better grasp the topic today. Now, Andrea, tell us, do you believe that there are any positive consequences to such digital measurement technologies for South African social and transformative policy? Uh, traditional healthcare contexts, the employment of some of these technologies can be a very positive element because it allows for people who have challenges in or uh, physically getting into healthcare settings that are more traditional mm -hmm. to get information on a real-time basis and to have a level of diagnostic monitoring potentially that they didn't previously have access to. Um, so uh, for example, um, in addition to um, the uh, AR and VR dementia headsets that I mentioned uh, that uh, are something that someone can use at home, obviously. Uh, there are uh, different mobile apps that are being deployed in Africa and tested out with things like cervical selfies, where a patient takes an image of her body and sends it to the doctor for a conversation with the doctor on the state of her health. And uh, because according to the World uh, Health Organization, uh, WHO, WHO says that less than 50% in 2018 of uh, citizens residing in Africa had easy access to modern healthcare settings, having this kind of a technology facilitated uh, conversation ongoing with medical providers can mean the difference between uh, early detection of certain types of serious health problems and uh, neglecting those health problems because of the lack of access to a doctor, uh, and particularly on the African continent where uh, some estimates say that as high as 90% of citizens have access to mobile phones. This is very interesting, Andrea. Thank you. Victoria, do you have anything to add on this? Yeah, so uh, I definitely agree with what Andrea said here. Um, ultimately, these technologies can save lives and reduce costs for hospitals. Uh, hospitals can then use this money to reinvest in, in other things. Uh, technologies can also help target people that couldn't have been targeted otherwise. I'm thinking specifically about uh, young people living remotely who might have access to a phone, but who otherwise wouldn't 
wouldn't bother traveling to hospitals or just cannot travel to hospitals. Um, however, we, we need to be aware that digital measurement technologies can also have very negative consequences for, for Africa, inclusive and transformative social policy. Yes, yes, I completely agree with you. In fact, I have myself identified for this podcast three different negative ways digital measurement technologies can directly impact transformative and inclusive social policy in African countries. So first, digital measurement technologies provide health insurance with an extremely detailed level of information on individuals. And this enable, enables health insurers to discriminate segments of the population according to specific criteria they can freely choose. And this generally without their approval. Health insurers indeed have a financial incentive to take and charge people they know in advance are healthy or to charge more unhealthy people. This phenomenon has been named cherry picking or also lemon dropping. And this has been the case, for example, in the US, according to the multiple prize winner journalist Marshall Allen. He claims that health insurers are collecting everything you post online. So whether it comes from social media, your online bill, your online order historic, and they take all this, they feed it into a complicated algorithm, and this will spit out predictions about how much your care could cost them. And this can have very perverse side effects and exclude the unhealthy poor who are the ones struggling the most in the first place. This is a vicious circle for the poor who are designated as poor and so labeled as costlier for the health insurance. They are charged more despite having less money, and so they can never really rise above their own condition. These measures can also be very discriminatory against specific ethnic minorities and ethnic groups. This is especially problematic for African countries, for most of them are inhabited by many different ethnic groups. So the second point is about health insurance programs involving phone tracking, wearables, and other monitoring device. This can be a source of exclusion for the poor living remotely who don't have access to phones. As a result, the poorest of the poor might not be included at all. For example, Brian Gould explains that South African share phones mostly. Only 47% of the sample he studied owned a mobile phone, but as many as 80% had access to one. This obviously renders more complicated any attempt to assess someone's health from its phone activity if it is shared. Even the ones that have access to phone might not be technologically literate, and so they might actually self-exclude from health insurance programs relying on phones or digital wearables, and this is very problematic. So my final point is that programs can also be culturally tailored. For example, Kamina Becker and her colleagues ran a study designed to increase physical activity and used wrist-worn accelerometers. It revealed that wrist-worn mobile technology was culturally unacceptable and drew unwanted attention to the woman, so they did not wear it. This highlights how digital tools can perpetuate disparities and prevent access to healthcare if not well designed and deployed. So from these three points really emerge a question. What can be done to prevent exclusion? So Charles, do you, many do you maybe have any recommendations to prevent such negative consequences on African social inclusive policies? Um, yes, I do. Thank you very much, Lou. Um, first, I do believe, and this is the main point, that ethics, procedures, and strong regulations are the true way forward to avoid, as much as possible, uh, any discriminatory measures, which could be especially important in the, in, in the health sector. Um, second, I, I do think that health programs should be context-specific, and they should take into consideration both 
the limited access to phones and the cultural practices of customers, which can vary immensely uh, in the African context. Um, ideally, bottom-up and community-based initiatives that involved locals uh, could prevent further exclusion for cultural reasons. Uh, finally, third, uh, I think it would also be best to teach and uh, sensitize health, ensure uh, people to technology, to, to technology practices. Yeah, thank you, Charles. I think these points are all very good. Um, Andrea, do you have anything to add to this, maybe? Yeah, we need to work on trustworthiness mm -hmm. building. And we build trustworthiness of policy through providing not only incentives on the front end, but also safety nets, knowing that things will go wrong. Mm -hmm. No human is perfect. No technology application is perfect. No implementation is ever perfect. We know by looking at history of both policy and technology that it is inevitable that unfortunately there will be problems that arise and unfortunately some negative consequences will result. So the goal is to build confidence and deserved confidence, trustworthiness, by identifying the risk profiles, the um, attack surface, if you will, of the technology and the humans that are implementing the technology and to come up with safety nets to catch the people who are hurt by these technologies and to make them as whole as possible to the point, to bring them back to the point before they engaged with a particular technology. So with some of these technologies, that's merely a financial transfer. If you lose a job because your employer obtained information about some health condition that a device decided you may have and you don't actually have, you can be made whole with a financial transfer, usually, uh, and reputational harm, you might be able to counteract it through uh, publicizing the existence of that error. But the challenge is that with some of these devices, particularly as they move inside the body and interact with, say, mobile phones outside the body, is that once permanent physical damage might happen with some of these devices, that is a tougher situation to remedy and money will not make those patients whole. Thank you, Andrea. So for a final question for this podcast, um, I will address it to Victoria and ask you, do you believe that there can be wider implications for African societies? Yes, so I think we need to consider that technologies can have impacts on, on the power structures in, in societies. They can reinforce existing inequalities and they can eventually disrupt the, the objectives of inclusive social policy. First, we need to remember that technologies often use big data to, to generate algorithms, to calculate predictive health scores, for example, and, and this is an activity that is really based on a large scale collection of personal data. So this raises necessarily questions of data security and power. Um, and people are in most cases not aware of, of what happens to their data. These devices generate huge amounts of information that can be sold and, and then distributed to third parties. And often this happens without the knowledge of the data subject. And, and the workings of these processes are just often really intransparent and, and not accessible to, to the policyholder. So um, 
another issue is also that through the collection of digital data, people will be made, made more legible to the state and to business in general. Um, and so through the creation of these digital identities and um, new forms of surveillance and regulations and inequalities can emerge. Um, we need to think about to we need to think about the actors that have now access to to these digital identities who will then make decisions on on the basis of this data um, and these decisions will have real effects on people's lives so for example whether or not they are being offered low premiums for their insurance um, and this digital legibility also makes people um, more governable so when these companies use this data, they, they're, they're trying to map and govern the risky segments of the populations. These insurance companies are trying to nudge people um, into specific behaviors. And, and we saw this in the case study I presented um, of the Vitality program, how um, those self-tracking health devices were used to actually encourage people to engage in, in a healthier lifestyle. So um, finally, I also want to point out that digital legibility can, people, can make people more susceptible to political power manipulation and the exercise of abusive political power. And, and we need to be really worried of that. Um, another issue I want to raise is the concentration of power in third parties. So when we think about how predictive algorithms are created, um, we need to be aware that this depends on, on centralizing digital data. Um, so the logic here is based on network effects. These platforms can only create algorithms and, and make these predictions for users if they really broaden and deepen the database and, and centralize various insights across various sources. So um, as a consequence, it is likely that a single or a few dominant players will emerge who have control of these digital infrastructures and who will be at the center of data harvesting. And so they will monopolize power because they own the data. And what this means for, for the health sector is that players from outside the traditional healthcare system, um, such as Google and Apple, will, will gain increasing influence. And so we really need to ask ourselves what this um, will do to inclusive social policy. And so my final concern is the inaccuracy of digital health data. It is often assumed that big data sets offer some kind of superior knowledge. They're, they're viewed as more neutral and, and very accurate. But in reality, um, decisions on this kind of data is often wrong and is often incomplete. And insurance companies um, use all kinds of data to, to predict a, per, a person's risk. Um, and this is not only medical data, but, but a lot of non-medical data like lifestyle data, the kind of investments people make, um, the kind of cars people own. So, so many patient advocates have already warned that this kind of unverified, error-prone lifestyle data um, that is being used to make assumptions could really lead insurers to, to improperly price plans, so to raise rates. Um, based on this kind of false information, and this will then eventually discriminate people. Yes, so um, just to sum up quickly, despite having some positive aspects, we really need to be cautious of, of the potential 
negative implications of digital tech in health insurance. Yeah, thank you, Victoria. I think that you made some very, very interesting points and these are points we can all take time to reflect on. Uh, so thanks a lot, everyone, for sharing your thoughts on, your, on our topic today. This conversation has really been insightful. This is Citing Africa.